Well, hello, church. Good to see you, and thanks for joining us live stream. Hey, just a quick reminder that all things being equal, Lord willing, we plan to resume services back here on the church campus next Sunday. It'll be August the 9th at 9.30. We're going to have the one service at 9.30. So if you feel comfortable with it, plan to join us at that time. If you're not quite comfortable with that yet, then continue to join us live streaming. So, back to our sermon series, Obey Everything. Just a couple of days ago, I saw this story where in Gwinnett County in Georgia, there was a guard who was a deputy who was patrolling the jail. And there were some inmates watching him, and they noticed he didn't look quite right. So they were following him with their eyes, and sure enough, when he got back to his desk and he sat down, he passed out fell on the floor, and hit his head on the concrete floor, splitting his head open. Now, the three inmates who were closest to his desk had been watching, and when they saw what happened, they began pounding on their doors and calling out his name. And pretty soon, the entire cell block, were, they were pounding on their doors. And the deputy said later on that he came to, and he heard all that pounding and the shouting of his name, and he sort of assumed that there was one of the inmates who was needing help in their cell. And so he struggled up and he hit the release switch that opened the cell doors for the inmates. The three inmates that were the closest, and we got a picture of them up here, they rushed over to that deputy because he promptly passed out again. And using his desk phone and his radio, they called for help. Help was there almost immediately and because they had done that, he received the attention he needed, and they saved his life. So these inmates were being honored by the sheriff there in Gwinnett County. Now, normally, when you have inmates and you've got the deputy or, or the, the guard, you might think of them as enemies and that they would treat each other as enemies, but they actually showed love to one another. And I was thinking about what Jesus said, therefore, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So what we want to talk about today is perhaps one of the most challenging commands of Jesus to obey, and that is to love our enemies. So I want to break it down this morning into three basic parts. First of all, let's ask, answer the question, who is our enemy? Now, when Jesus is teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, he seems to be correcting, once again, the misapplication of Old Testament law by the Pharisees. The law in question is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But it seems like the Pharisees have added a clause onto that, because Jesus said, you've heard, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. And the reason, you know, they're legalists. They're always looking for a loophole in the law. And their reasoning seemed to be, all right, God commands us to love our neighbor, but how do you define neighbor? And they define neighbor as someone who was neighborly to them, someone who was nice to them. 
But if someone was your enemy, then you didn't have to love them. You could love your neighbor, but you got to hate your enemy and be guilt-free. And Jesus said, no, no, no. We're not defining neighbor in that way. In fact, we, we get a window into how Jesus defined neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. And Jesus was asked this question, who is my neighbor? He's asked by a lawyer. And so he told the story. And in his story, the man who loved his neighbor was a Samaritan. The man who received that love and that help, the injured man, was a Jew. These two were typically were enemies, these two people groups. They had religious enmity and they had racial enmity. And in telling this story and making the Samaritan the hero, Jesus is clearly broadening the definition of neighbor to include even our enemies. So who are our enemies? Let's get kind of specific about that from the text itself. I see at least three categories here. Number one, our enemy would be those who persecute us, those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So these would be people who have a harmful intent toward us, who actually want to want to hurt us and are very hostile toward us. The kind of persecution that Jesus actually experienced in the first century. Uh, and that's going on today as well in different places. For instance, just this past December in China, there is a pastor by the name of Wang Yi. And he is one of the leaders of a large unregistered church in China. And there's been an uptick in Christian persecution in China. In December, they raided that church. They were seizing property and sealing property. They arrested many of the members of that church, questioned them, and made them sign a pledge that they would stop attending church in order to be released. I mean, I don't know if this is China or the NFL, but they had to sign a pledge that they would not go to church. They arrested the preacher, Yi, and sentenced him to nine years in prison just for being a leader of an unregistered church. Well, this preacher, Yi, had anticipated that this might happen. He'd been a leader, an outspoken leader for many years. He'd seen what communism can do. And so he had prepared a statement in case he was arrested. And his fellow Christians released that a couple of days after he was sentenced to prison. And here's what he wrote. He said, tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Christ. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. And then he said, when I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural love and grief toward those who are imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I may take the gospel to them. Wow. All right, we say, well, yeah, Steve, this is America. Well, that's in China. That could never happen here. I don't know. Do any of us still believe that anything could never happen here? But anyway, at least one category is those who would persecute us, a category of enemies. Here's another category, kind of 
a lesser one. The evil and the unjust. The latter part of verse 45. God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Now this is less dramatic than those who might persecute. Uh, the people who are evil and unjust, they're receiving God's blessings. They wouldn't necessarily categorize themselves as enemies, but they are those who resist the will of God. And there may be those in our lives who are not trying to hurt us, but they resist us. They may be antagonistic. This could be an antagonistic or cantankerous type of neighbor who's always haranguing you about what you're trying to do in your yard. Could be a rebellious child, maybe, who's taking a walk on the wild side. So the evil and the unjust. And then maybe a third category is those who are unloving and unfriendly toward us. Verse 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? So the point here is there's a whole spectrum of those who might be considered enemies from total hostility and persecution down to those who are just harassing us maybe on a given day that we are commanded to love. Now the second heading I want to look at here is what is love? What are we talking about? When Jesus says we're to love our enemy, the word that is used there is agape. You've probably heard of that before, and it means to have intelligent goodwill toward another person. So at the very minimum, we're to have intelligent goodwill even toward our enemies. But let's flesh that out a little bit more, and let's take it right from the text here. There's at least three things we can draw from this scripture, how specifically we can love our enemies. First of all, just a simple greeting, simply to greet them. Verse 47, if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Now that may seem kind of superficial or insignificant compared to loving someone who's persecuting you, but Jesus meant this teaching to apply to all of our life. So we're not just to greet our family members and those that we know and those who are friendly toward us. Have you ever interacted with someone and you kind of get a vibe from them that, Maybe they don't like you. You can sense that sometimes. You can sense when somebody likes you. Maybe you can sense when they don't like you. And you're getting that vibe. And then it may even be in the church. And they won't make eye contact. And uh, if you don't speak to them, they won't speak to you. And they seem to go out of their way to avoid you. And you might say, hey, that's fine. That's the way they want to be. I'll just avoid them. I don't want to talk to them either. But Jesus said, no, that's not enemy love. We're going to love them. We need to greet them, not just the people who are friendly to us. We go and seek that person out. Make eye contact. Hey, hey, make eye contact. Greet them. Give them the elbow bump. Give them a fist bump. Just a little fist bump. Make sure we're greeting them and we're not snubbing anyone. Here's another way to love our enemies. Practically meeting their needs. Practically meeting their needs. Verse 45. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So God sends his sunshine and rain. And that makes it possible for people to grow food and have clothing. He's supplying their needs. And sometimes we often, we may have the opportunity to help meet needs of our enemies in a practical way. We, sunshine and rain for God kind of translates to food and clothing and meeting needs for us, for our enemies. Paul says something similar in Romans. He says, don't overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good and feed your enemy, clothe your enemy. You're heaping coals on their head by doing that, but same kind of thing. Meet their needs, feed them. Last year, 
Popeye's fried chicken introduced the new chicken sandwich from Popeye's. Now what they were doing, they were trying to encroach upon, upon the space that's pretty much owned by Chick-fil-A among fast food, and that's the chicken sandwich. So they, they ramped up this big program. There. They got the Popeye's chicken sandwich. And there was one Popeye's restaurant over in North Carolina, and during this promotional period, they were getting slammed. And it was so busy at the store that the employees didn't even have time to eat breakfast. And the, the Popeye's was right beside the Chick-fil-A. And what normally was the employee's routine, Popeye's employees would eat breakfast over at Chick-fil-A. They'd eat their chicken minis, and then they would go over to work at, at Popeye's. So the manager at Chick-fil-A noticed that the employees, they didn't even have time to eat breakfast. They to come over there at Chick-fil-A. So you know what he did. The manager took some free chicken minis over there to the Popeye's employees, and he fed them breakfast. And somebody snapped a picture of it, and they put it up on Facebook, and it became a meme and, and went viral. But here you are. If, if these two chicken restaurants that are fierce competitors in the business space can show chicken love to each other and feed one another, then we can feed our enemies as well, as well show a little chicken love to someone as well. Okay, so... One we said, they were talking about how to love our enemies. Simple greeting, meeting needs, and then the third way that emerges from this passage is to pray for them. We pray for them. I say to you, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is probably one of the deepest ways that we can show love for an enemy. Because you really have to mean it. I mean, you can... Greet somebody, and you can even do something nice for someone and still not have great goodwill for them and wish the best for them. But when it comes down to prayer, and it's just you and God in your prayer closet, and he knows our hearts, you really have to want something good for them in order to pray for them. And it may be a prayer that they would repent. It may be a prayer that they would cease their downward spiral into sin. Maybe a prayer for reconciliation or resolution in a relationship but we pray for our enemies. Jesus, of course, modeled this when Jesus was dying on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, Stephen, you remember, modeled this in the book of Acts when the Jews were stoning him to death, and he prayed something similar. He said, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. The apostle Paul, for whom the Jews had caused so much trouble and resistance in his missionary journeys, Paul prayed for them. And uh, we read in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is for their salvation. For their salvation. Okay, so, might call this meet, greet, and entreat. I use entreat to stand for prayer because it rhymes with meet and greet. Meet, greet, and entreat. Now, let me <clears throat> put on my marriage counselor hat for just a moment here. I'm going to do a little marriage counseling. Have you ever heard the term sleeping with the enemy? Sleeping with the enemy. Yes, you have. And it basically means your enemy is your spouse. Because that's the person that you're sleeping with. It might be your husband. might be your wife. Chances are, if you're married for any length of time, there, you're going to go through a stretch where your spouse feels like the enemy. In fact, research shows 80% of all married couples experience moderate to severe conflict 
at some point in their marriage. And I tell you that so you won't feel like it's just you. It's 80%, probably even higher than that. Uh, so there, there's going to be conflict from time to time. And during those times, that's when it's especially critical if we're sleeping with the enemy that we are loving the enemy, our spouse. Professor John Gottman at the University of Washington has studied thousands of married couples. He will ask each couple to tell their story, how they met, how they courted, their highs, their lows as a couple, how their marriage has changed over the years before having them discuss contentious issues. After watching a couple interact for just one hour, he can predict with 94% certainty whether that couple will divorce within three years. How can he tell? It's not from the anger that the couples express. Anger does not predict separation or divorce. The biggest warning signs are indicators of contempt. These include sarcasm, sneering, hostile humor, and eye-rolling. These little acts effectively say you are worthless to the one person we should love more than any other. <clears throat> Stephen Covey is the author of the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he says that he was lecturing one time on the habit of proactivity, being proactive. And after his lecture, uh, a man in the audience came up to him and says, hey, Hey, Stephen, I like that, what you're saying, and I agree with it. But he says, every situation's different. He says, you take my marriage, for instance. Uh, my wife and I are going through a real hard time, and we just don't, we don't feel the love for each other anymore. She doesn't feel love for me. I don't feel love for her. And Covey said, you don't feel love for each other? And he said, that's right, and I'm really concerned. And we have three children. I'm concerned about them. I'm not sure what I should do. And, and uh, Covey said, <clears throat> and he asked Covey, what do you think I should do? And Stephen Covey said, well, I think you should love your wife. And he said, well, but, I, I, but like I just explained to you, I don't feel love for her. She doesn't feel love for me, and the feeling is gone. What, what do you think I should do? And he said, Covey said, I think you should love your wife. And he said, what are you talking about? How can you love when you don't love? And Stephen Covey said, my friend, you are speaking of love the feeling. I'm talking about love the verb. I'm talking about love the action. Love the feeling follows the action. If you don't feel love for her, are you willing to love her in action? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for her? Are you affirming her with your words? Are you praying for her? Are you serving her? Well, but, but she's not doing that for me. He's not meeting my needs. And that's not what Jesus commanded us, to have our needs met or wait until we have felt love. He commanded us to love the enemy. And sometimes that means loving in our family, child or a spouse. But regardless, and, and, in the, and back to the wider spectrum and the broken political world that we have right now that's dividing people, I heard someone suggest, go to someone with whom you disagree, ask them to explain what they believe and listen intently, seek first to understand, then to be understood, and then treat them with love and respect and let God take it from there. We love our enemies. All right, third heading. How do we do that? Where do we get that kind of love? I want to read you another quote. This is from Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand was a, a preacher in communist Romania. And he wrote the book, Tortured for Christ. 
and he founded the organization Voice of the Martyrs. He was arrested in prison for 14 years and tortured during that time period. Here's what he wrote in Tortured for Christ. He said, My last deed before leaving Romania was to go to the grave of the colonel who had given the order for my arrest and had ordered my years of torture. I put a flower on his grave. By doing this, I dedicated myself to bringing the joys of Christ that I have to the communists who are so spiritually empty. He said, I hate the communist system, but I love the men. I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. I love the communists with all my heart. Communists can kill Christians, but they cannot kill the love Christians have toward even those who are killing them. I have not the slightest bitterness or resentment against the communists or my torturers. Wow. When that kind of love shows up in real life, it's stunning, it's striking, it's amazing. How do you get there? You know, there's, there's probably a lot of answers to that. In fact, I'm sure there are. But the one that I want to focus on is uh, ex- experience. We have to have a certain experience. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus said, when, when we love our enemies in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Why would he say that? If you watched last week, if you recall, we were talking about King David and on the worst day of his life as he's fleeing Jerusalem, he is kind of assaulted by Shimei, his enemy. He's insulted. He's assaulted. Shimei's throwing dirt. He's showing rocks. He's cursing David. And David practiced personal restraint. When he didn't have to, he could have retaliated. How was David able to do that? Do you remember when God sent the prophet Nathan to David to tell him a story? Nathan told David this story. He said, there was a man who was a poor man and had a little pet lamb, and that that lamb was all he had. He loved that lamb. The lamb was like a child to him. And he slept with the lamb, slept in the same bed, ate, ate at the table with him, ate food right off his plate. I mean, he treated the lamb like some of you treat your cat or your dog, which is disgusting, but I guess it's biblical. Ate right off the plate there, gave his lamb the name, you know, a little name, Lamb Chop. And the Bible doesn't actually say that, but I like to imagine he gave the lamb name Lamb Chop. And so he had this wonderful lamb and this relationship. And his neighbor was a rich man, had flocks and flocks of sheep. And one day the rich man had a guest and he wanted to serve him, you know, mutton, and instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep, he stole his neighbor, his poor neighbor's little lamb chop and turned them into literal lamb chops and served them to his guest. And Nathan told David this story, and David was incensed. His sense of justice flared up, and he said, that man deserves to die. And of course, you know the story, you know, Nathan the prophet pointed his bony finger and David's face and said, you are that man. Because that story was his sneaky way of confronting David with his own sin. How he had stolen another man's wife and committed adultery and had that man killed. And when he did that, David had this aha moment. The light bulb went off in his head. And he realized that he was at that point in time, the enemy of God. He had rebelled against God. He had broken the laws against adultery and murder. He was standing as the enemy of God, and by his own pronouncement, he deserved to die. But he didn't die. 
And God in His great love and mercy and grace showed compassion to him. Now, he still suffered some consequences, but he did not die. And maybe that had something to do with the fact that later on, when David was confronted by Shimei, he practiced self-restraint. He had experienced enemy love. I think that every one of us have to come to the point in time where we experience enemy love. You know, Saul of Tarsus experienced that. He was a persecutor of the church, and when he was on the road to Damascus to arrest some more Christians and to put them into prison, he was confronted by Jesus in a vision. And he said, who are you? And Christ said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul had this light bulb go off. Oh, I'm not, I'm not the zealous protector of the faith. I'm a persecutor of Christ. I've become the enemy of God. You know, Peter had this, this enemy experience where he said, I'll, I'll never betray you, Jesus. And then he wound up denying Jesus three times and he heard, here's the rooster crow. And he looks up and Jesus meets his eyes and he ran out into the night weeping, realizing that he had become the enemy of God. The Jews on the day of Pentecost and the Apostle Peter is preaching that first gospel sermon, and at the conclusion he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ meaning the Messiah. In other words, you've been waiting for your Messiah and you crucified him. The Bible says they were cut to the heart because they realized they were the enemies of God. And they said, what can we do? And Peter told them what they could do to experience forgiveness and grace and God's love. It's hard to love your enemy. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. But here's the reality. If I am struggling to where I say, I just can't love him. I just can't love her. That means one of two things. Either I've forgotten or I never understood that I have been the enemy of God. And he has showed me enemy love. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. You were God's enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Romans 5.10, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Let me tell you the rest of the story as we close here. Gwinnett County Sheriff's Office, once again, they, they posted this online. They said, now these inmates came to his aid because our deputy, like most law enforcement officers, treat people with the dignity they deserve. These inmates had no obligation whatsoever to render aid to a bleeding, vulnerable deputy, but they didn't hesitate. Many people have strong opinions about law enforcement officers and criminals, but this incident clearly illustrates the potential goodness found in both. We're proud of our deputy whose strong desire to serve gave him the strength to activate the door release when he believed an inmate needed help. In doing so, he released his rescuers and we're proud of them too. Thank you. When you and I practice enemy love, it's like a key. And sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it opens the doors and frees people who were in prison by their prejudice and their hate. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Our Father in heaven, we pray that through your Holy Spirit in us, we will be able to love others as you have loved us. We remember that we have played the enemy from time to time in our past and maybe the not-so-distant past. 
And so as receivers of enemy love, we are now the purveyors of enemy love. We thank you for the strength and courage and grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.